Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Dan Osborne, and I'm one of the pastors here at Old North, and it is a pleasure of mine to be the last guy you hear speak in 2017. So whatever I say, you'll remember because it's the last day of 2017. But this is a great year because we started our year together, right? We started 2017 together on a Sunday, and we wrap up together around God's Word. So as we do this, let's begin our time with a word of prayer. So Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity, the opportunity to gather with friends and family around your word, the opportunity to hear you speak new to our hearts, the opportunity to grow deep into a relationship with you. And so Father, as your word is opened to us, I thank you that it is powerful in remaking in the way in which it touches us. And so I would ask, Lord, that any hindrance that might be in place would be undone that your spirit would teach and lead and convict, and that might, we might be granted the faith to respond. Lord, that we might be a people that represent your new life, that we represent the gospel well, we represent your name well, that this world might indeed see that you are king. And so, Lord, be with us now as we open your word. May our eyes be opened, may our hearts be ready, and, Lord, may our lives be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wonder if you've ever had a day where you felt just a little bit off. Ever had one of those days? Things just seemed, yeah, right? You woke up in the morning, you got dressed, you went to work. Everything just kind of seemed just a little bit off. In fact, on the front of your compass today, you see a picture of someone wearing two different socks. Anyone in here guilty of that and willing to admit it in front of everyone else? I have done that and I'm not ashamed to admit that. There's sometimes in life where we just kind of can't get things together. It seems as if everything is just not going to work out. I had a friend of mine recently uh, tell me about a day that she had. And she is a newscaster and gets up early in the morning and goes to work. And so she's up at like 3.30 in the morning and she's at the news desk in the morning. She's there until about noon and then she goes home. And she said, I got up that day and I just felt like everything was off. Just, you know, which is a dangerous thing when you're going on TV. Uh, but she did anyway. She got up and went to work, and she's sitting in front of the TV screen, and she's doing her, her uh, morning news show, and she just kept feeling like something wasn't right. So as she leaves the office that day, she walks outside, and she looks down. And when she looks down, this is what she sees. Two different shoes. <laughs> Two completely different shoes. Not just different colors, but different shoes altogether, different styles, different heights, a day where everything seemed a bit off. We've had that before, haven't we? In fact, maybe that's why we do resolutions at the end of every year. We sense that something isn't right in our life, and so we try to maybe correct that by engaging in some sort of a resolution. I'm not sure what your resolutions are for 2018, but I'm sure that some of you in this room have a couple, and those resolutions stem from something that you've identified in your life that needs to be changed. You might want to lose a few pounds, which interestingly enough, this is the first year that that is not the number one resolution. Do you know what the number one resolution for 2018 is? To be a better human. I'm not sure what that means, but it has usurped to lose weight. But we all attempt to engage some sort of a resolve at the end of every year because we recognize that something is just off a bit. 
Today in our, our time in the Word of God, I want to talk about the sense of being off. The sense of maybe being mismatched or out of alignment a bit spiritually. I think a lot of us can identify with that in our walk and following Christ, that we, we have this desire to do these things, to follow Christ, to be faithful, yet sometimes and most times they don't seem to match up. In fact, next week, uh, not to give away a uh, Nick's sermon next week, but next week he's going to be preaching on the reality of sin and how is it that we hate sin yet still continue to do it. There's this mismatch. And for, for me, speaking from a personal experience, largely the reason that mismatch is there is that I am not engaging the word of God properly. I've become somewhat static or I've become somewhat stale or I've become somewhat distant from the word of God. And so today I want to talk to you out of James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, about how to properly engage, properly receive and respond to the word of God. And as you turn there in your Bibles, James chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 27 will be our complete text, but we'll be starting in James 1, 19 through 21. But as you turn there, just some background for you as we begin. So James was Jesus' half-brother, who was not a believer while Christ walked this earth. But once Christ uh, died and rose again and pronounced his victory over sin and death, James indeed became a believer of his half-brother as the Messiah, which I think all of us in this room probably would at that point. It's hard to believe that your brother is the Messiah, Right? Yeah, any of you that have siblings can identify with that. But James then became a pastor, a powerful pastor, one of the foundational pastors of the, new, of the early church. And so in this letter, he's writing as a pastor to his people, to those that have been dispersed because of the persecution they were facing. In fact, we see that in verse 1. So James is writing this pastoral letter, and as any good pastor, he is concerned for the faithfulness of his people. His concern is that his people are faithful to the call of Jesus Christ. And so he writes this letter, and he says in the first few verses here, 1 through 18, he says, look, there's going to be times in your life as you are persecuted. Realize that there is purpose behind the persecution. Find joy in your persecution. Consider it all joy, my brothers, right? And then he goes on and talks about temptation, the reality of finding strength in the midst of temptation, this is very applicable to us. The same experiences that the early church had, we will have and should be having. And so the desire for James for his people was, here's how you are to remain faithful in following Christ. And the desire for us today is, how can we remain faithful in the light of everything we face on this earth? And James leads us to verse 19. This is the way that James says his people should remain faithful to the word of God, faithful to the Christ that they followed. And the same thing is true for us today. Here is how we should be faithful. Let's look at verses 19 through 21 and read them together. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. The very front line there, the first two words, he says to his people, and we hear this today, know this. It's an interesting and powerful phrase, know this. Meaning this, experience this. This should be your reality on a daily basis. What he is about to say should define their Christian faithfulness. 
So know this. And the first thing that he says is be quick to hear. Now, oftentimes we read this passage and we think that this passage is telling us to be good listeners. Uh, That's not what this passage is saying. And this is not the key to Christian faithfulness is to be a good listener to your neighbor. Although that's important. What James is speaking to is he says, be quick to hear the word of God. Be quick to hear the word of God. See, this is the key to Christian faithfulness. Christian faithfulness is rooted in properly receiving the word of God. And the first thing in that is to be quick to hear. The literal reading of that, by the way, written in Greek is, be quick to the hearing. Be quick to the hearing. What James is painting a picture to his people and what we, I hope we receive today is this, is that we should make it a practice in our life to be quick in putting ourselves under the opportunity to hear the word of God preached, taught, read. So the practice of the Christian faithfulness or a way to be faithful in your Christian life is to be actively seeking ways to be under the word of God. In fact, be quick carries with it the connotation of being fast, right? I'm not very quick. I used to be when I was younger, but anymore my mind is quicker than my body is when I'm on the basketball court. But be fast in the way in which you respond to the word of God. It also means that it takes priority, right? James is telling his people, and I pray that we receive this today as well, that the key to Christian faithfulness is rooted in receiving the word of God and being quick in doing so, that it must take priority over everything else. Why does James say this? Because it is the word of God that gives us the strength to withstand all that we face as we walk on this earth. And so James is telling us that the proper way for us to do so is to engage the word of God with anticipation and activity. We must be fast to place ourselves in a place of learning. Be quick this year. Be quick to hear. Secondly, James tells us the key to Christian faithfulness and receiving the word of God is to be slow to resent the truth. Now, in your passage there, it says be slow to anger. I grew up hearing this taught, you know, you should not be angry, Dan. And that's true, but that's not necessarily the whole picture of this passage. What James is actually speaking to his people is this. As you hear the word of God, there's going to be a, an engagement in your soul with regards to what you do with the truth that you just heard. And what can happen to us is this, is when the word of God is brought to you, you will hear something that doesn't necessarily correspond with how you feel, and at that point you are faced with a decision. Will I obey? Will I listen? Will I consider? Or will I resent? It's a dangerous spot to be in when you begin to resent the word of God. Because in that resentment, you actually begin to dispose of the word of God. I don't know if you're familiar with President Thomas Jefferson's Bible. Have you heard of this Bible that he had? Thomas Jefferson had a Bible. It's famous. I saw it this last summer with my, or two summers ago with my kids. We took them on the dreaded Washington, D.C. tour in the middle of summer, which those of you who are parents can understand why that is dreaded. It is always 6,000 degrees there in the summertime, and someone is always having to use the restroom. And they're never around. But anyways, in Washington, we saw the Thomas, we saw Jefferson's Bible, the Jeffersonian Bible. And you know what makes this Bible unique? Is he edited it. He took out those parts that he didn't like. He took out the parts of Scripture that he didn't agree with scientifically. 
And that's often how we engage it. And so James looks at his or at his followers, at those that he is in charge of, and he says to them, please, hear the word of God quickly, but in doing so, recognize that you're going to face a point of decision. Be slow to resent the truth of Scripture. Be slow to resent it. It doesn't mean that you won't have questions. But what it does mean is that when you do have questions, understand that this is an opportunity for you to be remade by the word of God rather than to resist the word of God. Our culture has somewhat reversed authority a bit. We've set ourselves over the Word of God in such a way that we now can interpret the Word of God instead of allowing the Word of God to interpret us. And so we readily dispose of those things that we don't necessarily agree with or think are a violation of our humanity. And so it's so vital that we in those moments, when we feel that resentment coming about a truth that is presented, when we say, well, that can't be so, do not put a stumbling block up at that point. But listen and consider and allow the Holy Spirit to do work on your heart as you are remade around the word of God. Third, we need to receive the word of God properly in purity and meekness. This is found in verse 20. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 21. James says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. I think we all know what filthiness is, Right? Uh, the Greek word that's used here just means dirty linen. It means dirty clothes. If you have a laundry room, those are the clothes that are all over the floor if you have young children and they never seem to get washed. Dirty clothes are things that we just dispose of, we put aside. We don't want those to be worn, to be presented. But the interesting thing about this word that is used for, for filthiness, it can be used as dirty linen, but it can also be used as earwax. Another way that this word is used is as earwax. And so James, in essence, is saying is, clean your ears out in hearing the word of God. Which means that it is entirely possible for you to not hear the words of God because your ears are clogged. What clogs your ears? Think of this. The reality of what James is saying is that it is, impossible, it is possible for you to sit under teaching, to hear the word of God week in and week out, and not really hear it. Because your ears have been clogged by the rampant wickedness that you allow in your life. There's a really rough point here for me as I was studying this week. It's really rough to sit and consider the sin that is active in your life, isn't it? It's never really a fun engagement. But this is the point that James is making. As followers of Christ, as healthy disciples, one of the things we must engage in is killing the sin that is active in our life. Because that active sin will actually clog your ears to the truth of the word of God. We see this in other places throughout scripture, by the way. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, Peter then tells his people, put aside all remaining evil, guile, hypocrisy, all envy, all slander, and then, he says, and then, there's a process here. Put aside these things, and then, like a newborn baby, long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow by it. This is the pattern that James is establishing for us as we engage the word of God. The proper way to receive the word of God is to pray that your sins have been removed on a daily basis so that you can hear the word of God. If you have active sin in your life, it is time to pray that God gives you victory over those things. Sin is a barrier 
to the life-giving words of God. And so we must receive the word of God in purity, but we also must receive the word of God in meekness, in meekness. And what this word meekness is actually helping us understand is that we must be teachable as we approach the word of God. Be teachable. Be cautious about approaching the word of God with your ideas first. Enter into conversation with the word of God with a spirit that is teachable. You cannot receive the word of God if you are living a life that is constantly setting yourself up against the word of God. And lastly, we must receive the word of God with anticipation. Look with me here. James chapter 1 verse 21. Receive with meekness the implanted word, this last phrase, which is able to save your souls. The beauty of this word The beauty of the word of God is that it is able to do work that we cannot do. We feel like things are out of alignment spiritually. You cannot force them back into alignment. The word of God will work within you to do that. It is the word of God that continually delivers me from sin, continually saves me from myself, and continually conforms me to the image of Jesus Christ. We need to get to a point in our engagement with the word of God The same point that Peter got to in John chapter 6, verse 68. Peter got a whole lot of things wrong, by the way, in his engagement with Christ. There was a whole lot of foot-and-mouth syndrome for Peter. But he finally got one thing right in John 6, verse 68. As all disciples were leaving Christ because of his teachings being difficult, Christ looked at Peter and said, what about you? And Peter said, "Where, where else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. There's a reality that when we reach the end of all these things, we must recognize that only Christ has the words that we need to hear. And so we need to be quick to hear, slow to resent those things that we don't initially agree with, make sure we're receiving it in purity and meekness, and receive that word with anticipation. Why? Because faithful Christian living is is rooted in receiving and responding to the word of God. Now, this is something that we must understand because this is where a lot of us stop. We're like, yeah, I'm hearing the word of God. I love to come and sit on a Sunday morning and and hear the word of God taught. I am indeed quick to go and hear the word of God in different areas of my life. But you'll notice that there's a second part to this statement. Faithful Christian living is rooted in receiving and responding. This is what James is getting to for us today. There's a great danger in actually just thinking the Christian life is about hearing the word of God. And that certainly is foundational, but James says there's a danger in that part. Look with me here in the next segment of our scripture, James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. James says this, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, And for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks intently or looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I think it's important for us to understand that faithful Christian living is rooted in receiving, but it also is rooted in a proper response to the words of God. I heard someone this week say that, We need to be living lives with a holy energy towards God's word. 
a holy energy, meaning that we take the things that we read, we take the things that we hear, and we turn it into action. Tremendous danger in not responding to the teachings that we hear. In fact, such danger that James actually says we are lying to ourselves if we do not do those things that we read. And that deceit, he calls it, that deceit is rooted in the idea of actually lying to yourself to the point that you keep the word of God at an arm's distance. Saying you appreciate the words, you assent to the teachings, but as far as implications to your life, I will keep it away from me. By the way, that's always been the case with people who have said they followed Christ. There's always been a large contingent of men and women who followed Christ who were deceiving themselves regarding their relationship with Christ. The passage that I read previously, or referenced previously with Peter in John chapter 6, this is the passage where Christ says that to be his disciple means that you actually partake of his body. A very difficult teaching. And at that point, many of his disciples left him because things began to get difficult to follow him. There was an unwillingness to put into practice those things that they were hearing. That's where many of us are today, by the way. We enter into an engagement with God, with Christ, with the word of God, where we assent to everything we hear. We love this moment, but when it comes to practice, when we leave these doors, we keep it at an arm's length. And as James says, that's actually living a life of deceit. It's actually a mathematical term. I'm no math person. In fact, I despise it. My kids are now at a point where I can't do their math homework anymore, which is great. (laughs) But the term that is used here in James is actually, it's a miscalculation. You have put the wrong, wrong formula in place. If you hear the word of God and do not practice it, you simply have the wrong formula in front of you. And as we all know, when you put wrong formulas on paper, it comes out with a wrong answer. This is the reality of what James is saying. And so we need to be aware of self-deceit. If you are indeed hearing these things and, put, and not putting them in practice, you are deceiving yourself. Secondly, you need to be aware that you may be auditing the word of God. Now, I went to Cedarville University um, twice. I'll tell you that story sometime. I went to Cedarville University, and I had an 8 a.m. class. Now, that was bad, right? I don't know who schedules an 8 a.m. class, but for some reason, I ended up in an 8 a.m. class. And this class that I was in was Greek, New Testament Greek. Brutal, okay? Dr. Robert Gromacki, no offense to him. It wasn't him, all him. A lot of it was just that it was Greek at 8 a.m., And I can remember the first few weeks that I went to that class, I sat in the class, and there was this guy who sat in the back right. I sat up front mainly because I was struggling in Greek, and I needed all the help I could get. And I sat up front, and there was this guy who sat in the back right of the class. And I noticed something right away about this guy. One, he was a little older than us, but, you know, that's not uncommon in a college course. But secondly, when it came to time for us to present in front of the rest of the class, he never had to do it. And when it came on test days, he was never there. And I thought, I want that guy's experience. That's the type of school I want. And so I went to Dr. Gramacki, and I was like, well, tell me about this guy. And he's like, well, he's a pastor in the area. He's just auditing the class. And when you audit the class, you know what that means. You don't have any skin in the game regarding your grades. 
You're just taking the material. What's interesting about that word audit is, is that is the word that James uses here regarding hearers. When he says in verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers. That word hearers is actually the word for audit. The great danger for many of us is that we simply audit the word of God. We stand in the midst of it. We enjoy the presentation of it, but yet we do not take it to heart. There is no application. There is no skin in the game. There is no risk for us to put these things into play. And Christ had no room for this. And still has no room for this today. In Luke 6, 46, Christ looked at the people that were following him. And he was teaching them over and over again. And he finally reached a point of frustration. And he looked at them and he says, why do you call me Lord? Does anyone know how that finishes? Yet do not do what I say. Why do you call me Lord, yet do not do what I say? There's a contrast that Christ is pointing to that James then plays upon. You cannot call Christ Lord and not obey him. The mark of a true disciple then and the mark of a true disciple now is one whose life is tailored to the teachings of the word of God. And here's the result of the auditing mentality. Here's how you can know if you're auditing the word of God. There is no reforming or sanctifying work of God within you. Nothing is changing. The illustration that James gives us is this whole mirror illustration. He says, if you do not do what you read in the word of God, if you do not respond to that which you hear from the word of God, then you're like a man who looks at the mirror and sees that something is wrong and then goes away before he fixes it. Maybe he's distracted by something else. Maybe something has caught his attention that has prevented him from engaging and fixing that which needs fixed. But either way, he sees that something is amiss and he has decided that there's something else he would rather do. So, I was thinking about illustrations for this, right? As if we need one. And it hit me yesterday. I have the perfect illustration for this. I think maybe we all have maybe had that illustration in our life where we have forgotten to fix something before we've left the house and we are at work and someone's like, you know, pointing at your face that you've got uh, oatmeal on your chin or whatever it might be. But my most remembering, remembering instance of not fixing something before I left the house happened on August the 1st, 1998. I remember the day distinctly. It was a Saturday. And on this particular Saturday, I was standing in the front of a church waiting for my bride to come down. And my bride comes down the aisle and she says to me as I'm weeping and I can't breathe because I'm about to get married and this is an amazing event for me. She says, did you forget to do your hair? (laughs) Of everything my wife could be thinking of, that is what she thought of. And she was right because here's what happened. In that morning as I was getting ready, I could not figure out how to get this bow tie on. As a college graduate, I can figure this out. No, I couldn't figure this out. And so I left to get help to put that on. And then it was late. And so I put my coat on and I went to the front of the church. And I had hair then and it was not done. And so if you look at our wedding pictures, it's wonderful. Frizzy mess on top of my head. We all get distracted. And James is saying there's a danger to our Christian life in that we will sometimes read the word of God, think about things that we need to change, but then something else will grab our attention. 
and we walk away because of something else that demands our attention or our affections, and we end up not fixing or repairing those things that the Word of God has pointed out to us. I wonder, the question that I ask myself, I ask all of you, what is your distraction? What is keeping you from responding to the Word of God? Maybe your distraction is the same one that I have. It's where I have this running conversation in my head. If I listen to God in this, it will mean this for me. And I don't want that for me, so I won't do that for me. I won't obey. Perhaps that's your conversation that you have. Perhaps your distraction is your own comfort. Perhaps your distraction, I don't know what it could be, but we all have them. The key to faithful Christian living, though, is identifying those distractions and being aware of them. The parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, speaks to this. There's a certain seed that is sown among the thorns, and at first it springs up. And it springs up as it is growing. And then you know what happens. Christ says there are distractions that come in. The cares of the world wrap around it and strangle the life from it. And friends, this life of self-deceit as we live, when we hear the word of God and refuse to obey the word of God, it leads to some dramatic implications such as this. It leads you to a place of self-satisfaction where you don't think that you need God any longer. The reality is is that you're fine in and of yourself. Life is generally okay, and so you think that you don't need God. When you audit the word of God and when you refuse to put it into practice, you ultimately will end up in a place of self-satisfaction. Secondly, you'll end up in a place of carelessness regarding the things of God. The things of God will become a hobby or a second-tier part of your life. And the more that we discount the truths of God and refuse to apply them to our lives, the more that we breathe an air other than the breath of God, and the more that we will indeed move further and further away from that mirror which reveals our true state. Number three, when you live this way, you will ultimately increase in sin. As we become more haphazard regarding the things of God and the more the flesh will grab hold of us, the more that sin will become the norm of our practice. And the less we will become remade in the image of Christ. And so the question James ultimately wants us to get to is the question he wanted his people to get to. Are we just sermon tasters, in the words of Charles Spurgeon? Are we the ones who merely hear or do and do not do? So I want to throw this out to you right now. Perhaps today is the day that you're looking into the mirror of engagement with Christ and realizing that for far too long you have simply sampled the feast of God's transformative beauty. Perhaps on this last day of 2017, you are feeling the spirit of God within you say, today is the day that you become someone who hears and does. So how is it that we then become someone who hears and does well we must look intently and as I think about it there's really two ways to look intently at something and I have a couple illustrations in front of us today this first one is something that maybe you're all familiar with are you familiar with this yeah it's the magic eye thing some of you immediately hate me for putting this up here Uh, this by the way do you want me to tell you what it is 
Just so, this is a teapot in there somewhere. And so I looked up instructions on how to actually look at these uh, magic eye things. And it says this, verbatim, look at the center of the screen and then relax your eyes as if you're not looking at the center of the screen. I thought, how do you do that? But this is one way that we attempt to engage the word of God. I know this is a stretch, but I'm going to go there. We look at the word of God and then do nothing with it with our eyes. We just simply stare at it and hope that something pops out to us. That's not looking intently at the word of God. Opening your word of God and staring at it and hoping that something pops out is not looking intently at it. The next slide is looking intently. You know what this is, right? Where's Waldo? Does anyone see him already? Yeah, to look at where's Waldo, you actually have to look. You actually have to sit and stare at the picture. You actually have to engage that which you are seeing in front of you and all the confusing colors and shapes and things that are on the screen in hopes that you will find the mysterious Waldo, that poor Waldo who is always seeming to be hiding I know, I know, I know, that's a cheap illustration, but I think it points to something. To look intently is not just a casual glance at Scripture. It's not a five-minute engagement. It's not a 30-second engagement. It is a purposeful stopping of your day, of your time, and engaging in the Word with the idea that it will delight your soul. It is a total and complete attention and affection engagement. Why? Because it will remake all of your affections and your attentions when you engage it that way. The psalmist, he says, in the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. Do we delight in the word of God as much as in all riches? I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. Friends, to look intently is to read it with an idea of application immediately, to think about your life and correspondence with the scriptures that you're reading, to be thoughtful in your engagement, to be careful in the way in which you pace yourself through the word of God. Our reading of the word of God must take place until the word of God reads us. And we must look into the mirror. Right? This is the mirror. We must look into the mirror of the word of God until our image is no longer seen, but rather it is the image of the one who saved and redeemed us. The Puritan Thomas Brooks had this to say regarding our attention and focus on the word of God. He says this, Remember, it's not hasty reading, but serious meditating upon the holy and heavenly truths that make them prove sweet and profitable to the soul. It's not the bee's touching of the flower which gathers honey, but her abiding for a time upon the flower which draws out the sweet. It is not he who reads most, but he who meditates most who will prove the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. To look intently is to spend time in the word of God. Time, not rushing through it. Giving it time to settle into your soul. Secondly, to look intently requires perseverance. We must persevere. This is not a once and done endeavor, but rather an act that carries on day by day, minute by minute, second by second, so long as God gives us breath to do so. Charles Spurgeon said this about what it means to persevere. He says he continues to practice it. He does not begin and then turn aside, but he continues to make advances in holy living and gracious conformity to the Lord's statutes 
and he continues by a final perseverance to follow on. This is the hearer that shall win the blessing of God's presence. To persevere in obedience to the word of God is the decisive act that the disciple of Christ makes because we have tasted and we have seen that he is good and that his words give us the freedom and the life that nothing else can. I want you to notice the last thing here in James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 25. That last sentence, the one who is a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What is the result of being someone who receives and responds to the word of God? You will be blessed. But you will not be blessed generically. You will be blessed in your doing. Notice, it's not blessed for your obedience. It's blessed in your obedience. That's an important distinction. You are blessed as you obey. You feel the presence of God as you obey. And in that act, you indeed experience the power of the resurrection. The very act of obedience carries with it tremendous blessing from the Almighty Father. And that blessing is the face of God shown upon you in your life lived to the end of his glory being realized in the lives around you. Which is why then James ends it the way he does. Because on the initial reading, verses 26 through 27, seem a little bit off. If we're talking about the word of God, then James all of a sudden switches to this idea of our tongue and our widows and orphans and keeping yourself unstained from the world. But here's what the reality is. When you are faithful and you're receiving and you're in your response to the word of God, then suddenly your activities change in the world around you. Look what James says, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. There's that word again. This person's religious religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Listen, friends. When you receive and respond to the word of God, three things occur as James has listed them. Number one, you have a tongue that is different. You speak differently. Your language is differently. You are peaceable, not a gossip. You bring the order in your speech that our God alone can give. Your language is different. And then you care for the needy, the widows and the orphans. And that's a unique phrase there that he gives us. Because the widows and the orphans cannot give you anything in return, but when Christ suddenly remakes you because you are receiving and responding to the word of God, you now give, not expecting anything in return. Christians can love because we have been loved unconditionally. Third, you'll notice that there's an increasing distance between you and the affections of this world. A tame tongue, care for the needy, distance between you and this world, your priorities shift. And so on the flip side, if those are marks of someone who has received and responded to the word of God, on the flip side, if those are not marks of your life, then what does it say regarding your receipt and your response to the word of God? Because remember, faithful Christian living is rooted in receiving and responding to the word of God. So friends, as you enter into 2018, which is amazing to consider that that is happening. As you enter in, perhaps you have felt a bit of a 
disparity between that which you profess and that which you are living. This could be the day that you actually begin to live out that which you say you profess. This could be the day that you respond as the word of God is calling you to respond. And that your life might be lived not to your glory, but to the glory of the one who has called you, who has redeemed you, who has given you a new life. Faithful Christian living is rooted in receiving and responding to the word of God. Let's pray. So Father, I thank you for this time surrounding surrounding your word, this time that is bathed in the truth of your word. And I would ask, Lord, that your spirit would do a work in our hearts right now, calling to mind those areas that need to be responded to, those areas that need to be given to you, those areas that we need to lay at your gracious throne that our lives might be marked by your goodness. Thank you that you call us and you equip us to follow you. Thank you that by your grace you have given us a new life that we might walk in power, that we might, we might walk in victory, that we might walk in a newness of life that you have given us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a responsive people this day. Lord, may today be the day in which we hear your voice and respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.